So, inspired, a seven-week series when we're going to look at and study and explore the Bible. And in the mornings, we wanted to look at the what of the Bible to explain what the Bible is all about, how it fits together. We want to look at the why of the Bible and the how. We are going to be really hopefully equipping every one of us to take the Bible for ourselves and to read it. And it's the old adage of you can, you can give someone a fish or you can teach them to fish for themselves. And the concept of this series really is that every one of us is inspired to take up the Bible and to read it for ourselves and to encounter Jesus in it. So in the mornings, we're going to be looking at the what, the why, and the how of the Bible. And in the evenings, we are going to explain the broad sweep of the great story of the Bible and how it all fits together from uh, Genesis and through um, the Exodus and uh, the times of the judges and the kings, the division of the kingdom of Israel into the north and the south kingdom in through the exile and then on to the time of the New Testament and the coming of the Christ and the giving of the Gospels and then the Acts of the church and how they uh, proclaimed the gospel and then right through to the consummation of this great story, this sweep through to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the, and the second tree, the first tree and the second tree. So I think what the evening is going to be really helpful for us to do is to give us that big overview of the meta-narrative, the great sweep, the great story that we find ourselves in and then in our small groups, we're going to be studying uh, Pete Gregg's series called Lectio, looking at something called uh, sacred reading, Lectio Divina, which is really how to read the Bible for ourselves, how to read it, how to meditate on it, how to pray it, and how to contemplate on it, how to put it into practice. And we're going to be doing that in a very practical way, and you're going to, I think you're really going to enjoy that video series with Pete Gregg in your small groups as we chat through and practice. And then also, on a daily basis, starting tomorrow, um, we're going to be having daily readings. And our daily readings, which are in our inspired books, are going to take us uh, right through this sweep of the story. So we're going to be starting in Genesis, and we're going to be working our way through each of the parts of the Bible right through to Revelation. So each day there's a reading for you to do in your books, and then there's a daily devotional video for you to watch, just a very short video that will be online on our website and also on our YouTube channel where you can just click in and watch that and, and make that part of your daily reading. So as we do that, our evening stuff, our morning stuff, our small groups, our daily readings, I think we're going to be immersing ourselves in the, the great story of the Bible. And as we visualize the library of the Bible around the church and have some fun with that as well, our real hope is that we'll really uh, be inspired to read it, to understand it, and to see how it all fits together. Uh, so that's where we're heading in these next um, few weeks. This morning, if you want to make notes, um, page six of your handbook uh, has got some of the key uh, points, just a couple of the key headings, and then the space in your notebooks uh, to just fill in some notes as we're talking. So do make use of those. And as we said at the start of the service, um, the Pew Bibles are available around the church. And um, we want you to get used to handling the Bible for yourself. And there's no problem at all if you look up at the front in the index to find out where things are. 
So, what is the Bible? The Bible is three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at the Bible, and it's in a slightly different order to in your notes, but as a place of education, as a place of equipping, and as a place of encounter. The Bible is literature, and the Bible is story, and the Bible is revelation. We refer to, and we see on our Bibles, the words Holy Bible. Holy Bible. The word holy simply means sacred or other. And the Bible comes from the Greek word biblia, which means books. Holy books. Holy sacred books. And of course, the Bible is not just one book, but it is a library of books. And we have here our library, and some of the books are already out, but we have 66 books the Biblia, the holy books that make up the Bible. There's 39 of those in the Old Testament, uh, which are these here. And then um, there's 27 of these books in the New Testament. So the Bible is holy Bible, holy sacred books, uh, 66 in total, and all different types of genre. So if you were to go into a library and you go to the fiction section or you go to the non-fiction section or the science fiction or the history or... You would find different sections, depending on what you were reading, you would read it in a different way. So we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament, we have the books of the Bible. And the other thing that we note is about this book, this library, is that it was written by 40 different human authors over a period of about 1,500 years. And the authors of each of these books, they came from various different parts of life. Some of them were kings. Some of them were peasants. Some of them were philosophers. Some were fishermen or poets or statesmen and scholars. But over a period of 1,500 years, inspired by God in three main languages, those being in the Old Testament, primarily Hebrew, in the New Testament, primarily Greek, and some smatterings of Aramaic, the Bible is written in three languages, the original scriptures, by over 40 authors, over 1,500 years. And we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That is 100% the work of human authors, but it is also 100% inspired by God, that God is behind it. Now, how do those two things marry? One kind of analogy that's sometimes given is that, is that Sir Christopher Wren is known as the person that built St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, actually, Sir Christopher Wren did not build probably one brick of St. Paul's Cathedral, but he was the designer behind it. He was the architect behind it. And so we say that Sir Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, although many other people were involved in putting it together. And so it is with the Bible that though there were all of these human authors throughout the spread of history that put together this word of God, these holy books, this holy library, that it was God that was behind it, the architect, the inspiration, the one who breathed into it. In fact, we have our memory verse of the week this week, which says that all scripture is inspired or breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3 16. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. And so the Bible is a great, sweeping, unified 
story, which explains our origins, our story and our future. The Bible is a story, and it's good for us to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is an epic narrative with every book of the Bible acting like a tributary to the main river of this great story. And we'll be looking at this great story next Sunday morning. We'll be looking at the full spread of this story and, as I've said, every Sunday evening for the coming weeks. In Lord of the Rings, Sam says and asks the question, I wonder what kind of story we have fallen into. I wonder what kind of story we have fallen into. And when we begin to read and understand the Bible and the story of the Bible, it begins to make sense of our lives. Tom Wright, uh, the scholar N.T. Wright, as he's also known, says this of the Bible. Picking it up, you need to remind yourself that you hold in your hands not only the most famous book in the world, but one which has extraordinary power to change lives, to change communities, to change the world. And so the part, the part of, the, of the talk this morning that refers to the Bible being a place of education is that we need to develop a Christian mindset, a Christian way of thinking, a biblical worldview. We all of us look at the world through certain types of glasses. We look at the world through a worldview. And how that worldview is informed is very, very important. If your worldview is informed by the newspapers or by uh, the television, whichever uh, news program of your choice, or if it's informed by social media or it's informed by your friends or the culture of your college or your school, or your workplace, then you will have a very different worldview than if your mind is shaped and informed uh, by the Word of God. The Word of God is a place to educate us, to bring to us the mind of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the words of Christ, in all their richness, live in your hearts and make you wise. Let this Word live in you and make you wise. Romans 12, verses 2 and 3 says, Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. You see, the Bible is a place of education, and, and the way that you think will be informed by what you read and how you are transformed by it. An analogy that Dallas Willard gives in his book, Hearing God, says that when we wash a shirt, it's like washing our laundry. Just think for a moment, he says, what happens when you wash a dirty shirt? And laundry soap moves through the fibers of the shirt material and carry out the dirt that is lodged there within these fibers. When we come to God, our minds and our hearts are like that dirty shirt cluttered with false beliefs and attitudes, deadly feelings, past deeds and misguided plans, hopes and fears. The Word of God enters our mind and brings new life through faith. 
The word moves into every part of our personality, just like the water and the soap move through the shirt's fibers. And God's word pushes out and replaces all that is false and opposed to God's purposes. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Dallas Willard says that the eager use of the Bible leads naturally and tangibly to the mind of God and the person of Christ. If we are to be educated, we will be educated. It's what we will be educated by. If we are to have a worldview, we will have a worldview. It is which worldview we will have. Will we have a biblical worldview? Will we have a mind of Christ? Os Guinness says in one of his books, he says, thinking Christianly is thinking by Christians about anything and everything in a consistently Christian way, in a manner that is shaped and directed and restrained by the truth of God's Word and God's Spirit. This is the foundation, says James Emery White in his book, A Mind for God. This is the foundation of the Christian mind, a biblical worldview, a view of the world informed and shaped by the Bible has always marked the most developed and formidable of Christian minds. The statutes of the Lord, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible, as we examine it and as we look into it over these coming weeks, is a place of education. We are called to be disciples of Jesus, and the word disciple is mathetes, and it means learner. We are called to learn and to be like Jesus and to have our minds transformed by the renewing of the Word of God, by the washing of the water of the Word of God. It pushes out the wrong thoughts. It brings in the right thoughts. It informs us how to live our lives. It educates us. The Bible is a place of education. This great library and all these different genres, as we read it, it will change us and change our thinking. But secondly, the Bible is a place of equipping. It is a place of education, and it will inform our lives in many ways. And of course, the Bible has been used as a, as a foundation for much of our culture, for much of our literature, for much of our song, for many of our musicals, uh, much of our, our, our calendar, much of our lawmaking is informed by the Bible. Many of our institutions were started by Bible-believing Christians. The, abol abolish, ab the abolition of slavery uh, was brought about by William Wilberforce based on his Christian convictions. Many hospitals were founded by Christians who wanted to live out the Word of God. The Word of God has transformed society. The Word of God is the, is the world's best-selling book week on week, Month on month, year on year, the Bible is not included on the bestseller list because it would trump them every single week, every single month, every single year. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world. It is downloaded millions of times. It is the best-selling apps. It is 
uh, transformative. It is a place of education, but it is also a place of equipping. All Scripture, our verse of the week says, is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God will be, will be what? Will be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is a place of equipping. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It connects us when, it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The, the Greek word is theopneustos, breathed by God. All scripture is, and this is the basis of our title of our series, inspired by God, breathed in by God, breathed out by God. All scripture is theopneustos. And as we've said God used human agents, over 40 of them, to write the Word of God. But each of them were inspired by God and by divine origin. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, it is important that you have the tools to do a job. It is not unknown that I am not very good at DIY. And I think I would be great at DIY if only I had the tools. But I don't. I often come to a job and I think I don't have the tools. I have a friend, Matt. Matt has all the tools. He's got a garage full of tools. And sometimes I say, Matt, I've got this problem with this doorknob has fallen off and I can't fix it. And he says, oh, you need a, and he names a, a tool that I've never heard of. I think I might have one of those in my garage. And he goes and rummages and comes out with just the right tool. We have another man that we use sometimes. His name is Jeff, funnily enough. And he can fix anything. So uh, my name is Jeff, for those of you who don't know that. Um, so in our family, he is known as the Jeff that can. <laughs> so my wife says, why don't we ask the Jeff that can? <laughs> and Jeff comes, and Jeff's got all the tools as well. Or Andy here, who uh, leads our worship, sometimes turns up to worship group with his manly tool belt on. You know the type. You don't, you, yeah, you know the type. I don't own a tool belt, but I have nice handwriting. We're all good at different things. Give us the tools and we'll do the job. What the Bible does, it gives us the tools. What the Bible does is it equips us to live life well. It gives us the foundations. It gives us the roots to help us through times of storm and drought and trouble. It helps us through the ups and the downs of life. It helps us in our relationships. It gives us, it equips us to live life right and to live life well. It gives us the equipment and the tools that we need. It is useful, Timothy says, 
Uh, it is useful, or oh, Paul says to Timothy, it is useful to teach us and correct us and to rebuke us sometimes and to train us in right living. It's given to make sure that we are thoroughly equipped. And in the coming weeks, what we want to do is we want to give you some easy and accessible ways that you can engage with God's Word in a way that is informative, but more than that, is transformative. So we want you to be inspired. We want you to understand the sweep of Scripture, but we also want you to know how. We want you to know, what do I do with this Bible? How do I read it? And uh, we, when we've been looking at, at, through Alpha or through the Foundations class, there are so many uh, of us that d- don't understand the Bible, don't know where to start with it, don't even know what it's about, don't know how it's put together or how to read it. So we want to be equipped in these coming weeks to read it well and to encounter Jesus in it. The third thing that the Bible is, it is a place of education. It is a place to transform our minds and our worldview. It is in a place to inform us, and that has informed society and culture and history and so much of our music and our art. It is a place of education, but it, and it is a place of equipping to show us how to live life well and to inform us in so many areas of our life. When we, when we take it and we live it out, the Bible says that it's like building your house on solid rock. When the storms come, uh, those that hear the word of God and do what it says are like those, that house that will stand and stand well. But thirdly, and I think for me this is the key of this series, is that this Bible, this Word of God, is a place of encounter with the living God. It is a place to equip us. It is a place to educate us. But more than that, and above all, I think, it is a place to encounter the risen Christ. If you've got a Bible and you look at Luke chapter 24, and if you've got one of our pew Bibles... That is on page 1061 in these Bibles. And we have this story on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus has risen from the dead. And the disciples, two of them, are walking on, on, a, 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 on the road to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. This is found in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They just couldn't understand what was going on. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, this is the risen Christ, came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day and since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels 
who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Here's an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And beginning with Moses, what, they only had the Old Testament scriptures at that time. So beginning with Moses and Genesis and taking them right through uh, the Bible, the Old Testament, and uh, through the law and the prophets, he explained to them everything that the scriptures said concerning himself, concerning Jesus. The Jewish people divided what we call the Old Testament into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, or the writings. And in his first appearance to, to them following his resurrection, Jesus declared to them that every section of Scripture was about him. Every section of Scripture pointed to him. From Genesis and Moses, through the law and the prophets, through the writings, he explained to them and he took them through probably one of the best Bible studies of all time, pointing to the fact that he had to come the way he came. He had to die. He had to be raised again. All of the prophets were speaking about this and pointing towards it. And he had fulfilled it. They had spoken of his life, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And he had lived just as they said. Charles Spurgeon once told a veteran, of a veteran Welsh preacher who gave some advice to a new minister who was regarding... Uh, the importance of his preaching, uh, regarding the importance of his preaching about Jesus. And the old minister said to this new, young newbie, he said, young man, from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. And so from every text of Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of Scripture, and that is Christ. Whether you're reading in the book of Genesis, or you read in the book of Nahum, or you read in the Psalms, or you're in Jude, or Thessalonians, wherever you are in the great library of Scripture, every road points to Christ. Every book points to Christ. It's a tributary that merges into the great river of this great story of the coming of a Messiah. And from Genesis 3.15, where it's promise that a, a Messiah will come right through to the consummation of Revelation, right through all of the times of the exile. It's all pointing to the Messiah. And Jesus explained to them that it was all about him. The Old Testament is in anticipation. The Gospels are a manifestation. The Acts are a proclamation. The Epistles are an explanation. The Revelation is a consummation of this great story. And it all points to Jesus. We read the Bible to encounter Jesus. We read the Bible to encounter the living Word of God. John Stott said, where then shall we find the authentic Jesus? And the answer naturally is in the Scriptures. I would like to give you this definition of Scripture, said John Scott, Stott. 
Scripture is the furthest portrait of the Son painted by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is full of Christ. The Scriptures bear witness to me, he said, and he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Jerome, one of the early church fathers in the 4th century AD, wrote in one of his commentaries, Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So John Stott said, The opposite is also true, that the knowledge of Scripture is the knowledge of Christ. We need, Pete Gregg has said, and we'll say in his series that we'll be following in our small groups, we need to seek conversation rather than information. Dallas Willard said, Come to your chosen passage as to a place where you will have a holy meeting with God. A real, personal, conversational encounter with a living, loving God. In your course, on, uh, in your small groups, you will be coming up against a contemplative nun called Sister Mary Magdalene. And she says these words, and they strike me as so important. She said, when I come to read scripture, it is a moment when I have a personal encounter with Christ, guaranteed. When I come to read scripture, it's a moment when I have a personal encounter with Christ, guaranteed. An expectation in every one of us that all of Scripture points us to Jesus and that we're going to meet with the one who is described as the Word of God in the written Word of God. Francis Fenelon said, imagine that Jesus Christ in person is about to talk to you about the most important thing in the world. Give him your complete attention. This is miles away from tick box reading of the Bible, of it being a boring, industrious thing that we have to do as Christians because the preacher said we had to read it. This is an encounter with the living God, an encounter with the Word of God, with Jesus. It is like Samuel saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The Bible is, as I've said, year on year, month on month, week on week, day on day, the best-selling book in the world. Over 400 million copies are sold or distributed each year, plus millions of downloads. It's translated into over 2,500 languages. But it's not just a book. It's living and it's active. It's a revelation of Jesus. We read to encounter Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Every verse is an invitation to a conversation with Jesus. We can expect it to be in a place of encounter with the living God. Our hearts, like those of those early disciples, can burn within us. Walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus as he explains everything in the scriptures concerning himself. I just want to tell you about three encounters with the living Word of God that have happened throughout history. One's historical, a couple of more are, are in recent times. Augustine is one of the most famous Christians 
that has ever lived and one of the most influential. At the age of 30, he had reached the summit of his career with dazzling prospects before him. He was a, a rising, famous person who mixed with the hoi polloi of society. His mind was set on fame and success. He was mixing with the who's who. And at the same time, he had followed a very licentious lifestyle, had followed his every sensual desire, and his life was a bit of a mess. And he remained completely, although successful, completely unsatisfied. And the climax of Augustine's conversion, as he tells it himself in his confessions, comes one evening as he's sitting in a garden in Milan, in Italy, utterly silent in the stillness of the summer heat, but his heart is raging. He's restless over the state of his life. And he feels like, he says, he feels like his chest is going to explode. He feels so conflicted, so messed up. And he throws himself under a fig tree and he begins to cry. On the outside, like so many people, apparently successful and having it together and mixing with who's who, on the inside, falling apart, messed up, giving over to his every whim, every desire. And then he hears a voice. He says, I heard suddenly the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Again and again, it repeated the frame, take it and read it. Take it and read it. Tola Lager, take it and read it. Take it and read it. Augustine heard this voice, didn't know where it was coming from, but it pushed him to go and pick up a copy of the Bible that was nearby, that was sitting there. He glanced around and there was his, uh, this Bible and he opened it and he picked it up and it fell open at Romans chapter 12. And he read there these words, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Augustine subsequently wrote in his Confessions, I had no wish to read, no more, to read more and no need to do so. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness and doubt was dispelled. It was a turning moment where a child's voice said, take it and read it. And in reading it, he encountered God and his life was transformed and he gave the next 44 years of his life to become one of the most influential Christian thinkers and writers of history but it all started with an open Bible in a garden in Milan and then a slightly more up-to-date encounter with the scriptures is told by Nicky Gumbel on the Alpha Course. Nicky Gumbel started or continued the Alpha Course and developed it to be a worldwide uh, tool for evangelism and share the Christian faith. Uh, Nicky Gumbel was the son of barristers. His father was a German Jew. And uh, by his teenage years, Nicky Gumbel said, describing himself, he was an argumentative atheist. He went to the University of Cambridge, where his next-door neighbor, someone called Nicky Lee, along with his then-girlfriend, Sila, who would later go on to write the marriage course, began secretly, he says, exploring faith. And not wanting his friends to be misled by this 
ridiculous faith and the Bible, Nicky Gumbel decided to read the Bible for himself, ready to challenge their newfound beliefs. And that, Nicky Gumbel says, is how I encountered Jesus in my first year of university as he started to read the Bible and realized that it was true. He said, I was enthralled. It was as if I had found what I had been looking for all of my life. And although it was a life-changing experience, Gumbel, much like the apologist and author C.S. Lewis before him, was a reluctant convert. I didn't want to be a Christian because I thought that it would be the end of all the fun in life. I thought I could put it off until my deathbed, but then I didn't think that had, that had much integrity about it. So I basically said, okay, yes. In that moment, I experienced life in all of its fullness. It was as if I had had a spiritual hunger that I was unaware of. And I want to show you a little video now of a guy called Finney who encountered Jesus in the Bible. We're going to watch that now. I was a drug dealer. I was, suffered from uh, mental health issues. I was dealing in um, uh, cannabis and amphetamines mainly. Um, and what I was making, I was using drug dispute with a fellow drug dealer um, that led to quite a serious offence. I was almost charged with attempted murder. Miraculously, they dropped the charges to aggravated burglary and threats to kill. As I was remanded into um, HMP Exeter, I was put into my cell, which was nothing new, nothing unusual. It was something that I'd been used to uh, time and time before. But for this time round, there was something different that I noticed in that prison cell and it was the Bible. As I open this Bible that I feel unusually drawn to, I feel God saying, if you want to know more about my truth, you need to start living and speaking truth. If you can imagine a man wrapped in, wrapped in chains, that was me when I was in my prison cell all those years ago. I didn't have to be in prison to be a prisoner. I was a prisoner on the outside wrapped in all those chains of addiction, of mental health disorders. And the only thing that's changed my life outside of the prison system is the Word of God, is the Bible. So every now and then I'd be in my prison cell and I'd, I'd read a scripture and ching, one of those chains, one of those padlocks would just fall off and that chain would feel a little bit looser. And then a couple of days later, I'd be reading something else, somewhere else in the Bible. And ching, another padlock would fall off and that chain would feel a little bit looser until the point where my four years were up and I was walking out the doors of HMP, High Point, and I was really walking out a free man because those chains were gone. But the only thing that has changed my life from what it was to what it is now is the Word of God. That's Finney's story, Nicky Gumbel's story, Augustine's story, the story of so many people that through this Word of God have encountered the Word of God and have had their lives changed and transformed. But in all of this, it's so important to find Jesus. Jesus said in John 5 to some of the religious leaders of his day, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
in all of this. We could have a technical reading of Scripture. We could understand its history, how the canon of Scripture came together. We could understand so much of uh, the, 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 the canon and the, the history of Scripture and the making up of Scripture and the languages of Scripture. But in all of this, Jesus said, it is important that you meet me, that you meet Jesus in Scripture. We can study Scriptures diligently and they can leave us unchanged. The Bible is a love letter from God to you. And its ultimate purpose is to bring you into a relationship with Jesus. These things are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. I have personally encountered Jesus myself and through this open Bible and a journal on my knee and the presence of God, you too, in these coming weeks, can take it and read it. The scriptures are about Jesus, are about encountering the living word of God. In the coming weeks, may we all encounter the word of God in a fresh and a new way. This holy Bible, this holy Biblia, this library of books is a place of education that will change our mindset and our thinking and our worldview. And that is so important that we do that. It is a place of equipping that all of Scripture is breathed of God, inspired, has the breath of God in it, so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is a place of equipping. But more than anything else, it is a place of encounter. It is a place to meet and to encounter the living word of God. Let's pray together. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Lord, we pray that in these coming weeks, as we open our Bibles at home, in our groups together on Sundays, Lord, that we will find in new love for your word and for the word of God, Jesus Christ revealed. To know scriptures, to know Christ. To be ignorant of scripture is to be ignorant of Christ. I pray, Lord, that in these coming weeks, our mind will shift, our heart will be warmed. Lord, that we will encounter the living God, that we'll find again a new love for your word, that it will transform us and change us just as it has down through history. It has been said that we do not need to defend the Word of God. We might as well defend a lion. It defends itself. We just simply want to set it loose, Lord, in these coming weeks. We pray, Lord, that we, each of us, that our hearts would be stirred, our minds would be renewed, we would be washed by your Word. I pray, Lord, that we'd find great joy in better understanding this great story that we have fallen into and that we are part of better understand our world and our future and our past, better understand you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the lights will come on, that we will be inspired, that we'll be wanting to pick this up and learn from it and be changed by it. Father, I pray for those of us who are going through the storms of life, that we would have our foundations built on the rock so that, God, when the storms come as they do, when loss and division and infighting and trouble comes, Lord, sorrow, 
Lord, that we might find that we are founded and grounded on the living Word of God and that we will not be moved. Father, I pray that you would touch us and encounter us, that, Lord, we, like Sister Mary Magdalene, might sit down and say that when I come to Scripture, I expect to meet with Jesus. I expect to meet with Jesus. And I pray in these coming weeks that we will meet with Jesus. I pray that some of us would discover him for ourselves for the first time and come to know him as our Lord and Savior and have our lives changed by this living word. I pray for those of us who've walked this way for a while and whose hearts are perhaps downcast, that once again we would have all of Scripture pointing towards Christ, reminding us, Lord, of what it's all about. And Lord, that our hearts might be renewed, our minds changed, our hearts refreshed. Touch us, we pray, in this series, Lord, and through our communion together and through our joint learning, may we be changed and transformed by the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.